You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. Luke 2. We're going to kind of focus on just a part of that story. I know Christmas isn't yet, but I really want to kind of prepare our hearts for this Christmas season. So Luke 2, starting in verse 1. And it says, in the time the Roman Empire, Augustus, declared that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quinius, the governor of Syria, all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. So I'm going to stop there. Some versions say there was no room for them right in the inn. You've seen that or heard that kind of even that story there. Um, but the title of my message today is, Is There Room? You know, I love that worship song that we ended with, right? I'm going to make room for you to do whatever you want to, right? So that's going to be my challenge for you guys today. Is there room in your life for Jesus? Is there room? Okay, you know, so if you weren't here last week, you know, it was a very emotional time. My husband shared all about trust, but we actually also shared that I am pregnant. (laughs) And one of the first things, so most people might know that if you don't, well, there you go. Thank you, Dylan. (laughs) Um, But just to be honest with you, you know, I didn't share much of my side of things, but my, one of my first thoughts when I found out I was pregnant, my youngest is 10, okay, my oldest is 15, I'm 41, I'll be 42 when I have this child. Like, this is not really, like, what I was thinking. (laughs) Um, Not really our plan. But one of the first things I thought of was, God, there's no room. Like, I don't have room. I mean, I I don't have room, first of all, in my schedule. Because I have a book coming out the end of March, and I have a baby coming in May, and I'm supposed to, like, do interviews and do all these things and travel. Like, I'm not going to be traveling when I'm seven, eight months pregnant. I don't have room in my schedule. And then I said, God, I also just don't have room in my life right now because I just started working at the church. I just started running Momentum. I just, they just announced at the partner party that I'm supposed to be co-leading, and now I am pregnant. Like, I don't really have room in my life. And then just literally, I don't have room in my house. Um, We have two kids, my son Isaac and Jacob. They still share a room together because we don't have enough rooms in our house. So I immediately thought, we don't have literal room. Like, where will this baby go? We won't even have a, a room for a nursery. And so there was all of these thoughts going on in my head, and I'm kind of, I'm excited, I'm scared, I'm complaining to God, you know, all the things. And this is what God said to me, and that's why I knew this is what I wanted to share when I was going to speak today. He said this. He said, Jess, you don't have a space problem. You have a heart problem. And I honestly believe, if you look at your notes, there's blanks there if you want to fill it in. We don't have a space problem. We have a heart problem. Okay? When we look at that story, right, of Mary and Joseph 
going to Bethlehem for the census. She's obviously pregnant, the scriptures say. So you're not talking about, you know, someone like me. You're talking about somebody that's nine months pregnant in labor. And she shows up to an inn. Now, we're not quite sure what that means. Some people believe um, because he had, so this was um, Joseph's hometown. He probably had family, relatives there. So a lot of times what they think when they say, like, that they were in a manger, instead of what you picture, like, I mean, kind of like a barn, but you'd have to understand the culture then. So back then, everybody had animals, right? If you wanted milk, you needed to have goats or cows, right? If you wanted eggs, you need to have chickens. Like, they had to, that's how they fed their family. So most houses traditionally back then, it was like the, the downstairs, the first floor, was where the animals lived, Okay, if anybody's been to Dayton and Chanda King's house, this is exactly the way their house is set up now. The downstairs, all the, the horses and stuff live, and above them, because they live literally in a retrofitted barn, is where they, like their house, their bedrooms, their dining room. And so most homes were set up kind of that way. So a lot of times, a lot of Bible scholars think when they say that there was no room, it was someone's literal home. And, you know, not like a Motel 8 right? That's what we think about when we think of an inn, right? Like, oh, there's no room in the quality inn, so they had to go stay in a barn. No, it was more like probably he had family there, and his own, like, relative said to them, yeah, we don't really have any room. Can you, I just want you to picture yourself here. I want you to imagine, even if they weren't your relatives, I want you to imagine a nine-month pregnant woman's car breaks down, okay, in front of your house, in a snowstorm, all right? And she knocks on your door and she's in labor. I want you to imagine yourself saying to her, sorry, I don't really have any place to put you. Well, wait, wait, wait. You could actually go to the garage. Because that is kind of like what they said to Mary and Joseph. You know, I got a little space heater in there. Um, you know, I mean, you can use my tool bench if you need to. You'll be fine. Like, would anyone, I hope no one in here would do this, but would anyone in their right mind do it? And so we read this story and we think, wow, they're just so hard-hearted. I can't believe they would do that. But, but they did it. And sometimes we can do the same thing because we don't make room for Jesus in our lives. And I think about that story and I think about the fact, like, they missed it. They had wise men that traveled, you know, all of these miles to find Jesus to worship the Savior of the world. They could have had him right in their home. And these people missed it. And I think, man, I don't want to miss it. Because it's not just about, oh, we're, well, we're going to celebrate Christmas. Or, you know, we're going to go to church. Like, I don't think that's what this is about. It's about having Jesus, like, making room for him in your life. Not just doing the things we know we're supposed to do or doing the religious obligations or even praying or giving, but like, where is Jesus trying to make room in your life and you're not letting him in? Because it's not a space problem. It's a heart problem. So, okay. So if you're looking at your notes, it says, Jesus no longer dwells in inns and mangers, but in human hearts. So I want to read you guys another verse right here. So it's Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14. 
I just love, I just love these couple of verses here. So this is Paul talking to the church of Ephesus, and he says this, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he'll empower you with inner strength through the spirit. And this is the part that I love. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down deep into God's love, and he will keep you strong. Christ will make room in your, make a home in your hearts as you trust in him. My husband talked about trust last week, and I think that it's so key to even what I'm sharing about today. I don't make room for someone I don't trust, right? Some weird person knocked on my door and said, can I live with you? And I'm like, you're creepy. I don't know who you are. I don't trust you. I'm not going to make room for you. But if Jesus sent that same person and knocked on my door and says, can I come in? And Jesus tells me I need to let him in. The trust isn't about the person. It's about trusting God. Right? But we don't make room for people that we don't trust. And sometimes I think we just have to be super, super honest with ourselves and say, I don't trust you, God. Like, I, 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 a lot of people say this. Like, I'm afraid to do fill in the blank. I'm afraid to do this or that for God. I'm afraid to go on a mission trip. I always wanted to go to Nyson, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid to adopt because, you know, what could happen? I'm afraid. All of these things. It's really just a nice way to say, I don't trust you, God. Because if God leads you to do something, it's about trust. Right? Perfect love cast out fear. Right? So if God's love is perfect, which we know it is then the problem isn't him. The problem is my own heart, right? I have a heart problem. So one of the biggest things that God has just been messing with me is this. I don't want to miss what he has for me. I don't want you to miss what he has for him, for you. But what happens is, you know, there's a verse in Jeremiah, I'm not going to read it, but Jeremiah 17, where it says, Our hearts are deceitful beyond all things. Who could even know them? Who could even understand? A lot of people are like, well, no, I mean, I've got Jesus in my heart, so my heart's like good. Yeah, the part that Jesus is in your heart, that's great. But you still have to understand there's something called the flesh, right? So the Bible talks about how you can walk in the spirit, which is following the Holy Spirit, or you can walk in the flesh. The flesh is just like Like even what Sherry was sharing, our emotions, right? Like the flesh is that part of me, that deceitful part of me where it's like, I want to like feel like I'm a good person, but I don't actually want to do anything that costs me anything, right? Like I want to pack the shoebox, but I don't want to pay the cost that Jesus is telling me to do, right? Like we do these things and I call them like token gifts to God when he's like, knocking on our door and saying, can I come in? And you're like, no, you can't come in right now, but I'll pack a (laughs) shoebox. I will give $5 in the offering. I'll go to church twice. I'll go to Blue Christmas and on Sunday, and I'll serve. But see, Jesus is not caring so much about our religious duties. If that was the case, the Pharisees would have never missed him. But listen to me, the Pharisees did all the right things. They missed him when he was on the earth. So you can do all the right things, and you can miss it. Am I saying you're not going to heaven? I can't say that. I would never say that. But you might miss what God is trying to birth in you on this earth. 
because our hearts are hard. They're deceitful beyond anything. How can we know it? Okay, so I want to read you guys a different response. So we're seeing the response of the innkeeper or the relatives or whoever they are, where they're like, Jesus, we don't have room for you. But I want to read you a different response, and it's Mary's response. So Luke 1, starting in verse 26. So it says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth is her cousin, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think that the, what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll name him Jesus. He'll be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she will conceive a son, and she is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, this is the part I want to focus on. This is how Mary's response. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. May everything you said about me come true. Not some things, not only the things that are easy, not, not just the things I like, everything you're saying. Because you have to realize when Mary said yes, she just got a completely terrible reputation. Everybody around her, no one believed her that an angel appeared to her. Everybody thought she was sleeping around. Everybody thought she was unfaithful to Joseph. She was the talk of the town. A lot of Bible scholars even believe that the reason why Mary went with Joseph to Bethlehem wasn't because, oh, we're engaged. Let's do something together. She's nine months pregnant. Think she wants to walk all those miles, like ready to have a baby? A lot of people believe the reason why Mary went with him is because she wanted to get out of the town she was in and all of the people gossiping about her and saying stuff about her. So she went with Joseph, even though she didn't have to, because to understand then they were, they were engaged. They weren't married yet. So she still lived with her parents. So she could have just said, Hey, I'm going to chill at home. It's way more comfortable here. So I can have the baby here. You go do your thing in Bethlehem and, you know, come back and you can probably meet the baby if I haven't had it already. She could have done that. She had no legal responsibility to have to go with Joseph, but she didn't. And a lot of Bible scholars believe it's because of this horrible reputation she incurred because of what God was doing in her. So it's everything. May everything you say to me say will happen to me happen, right? So faith, you got a, a blank there. It says faith is simply agreeing with God, right? You ever say, you say amen, right? You end a prayer, you say amen. It just means let it be. That's all faith really is. We make faith complicated. We make faith hard to understand. We can preach long sermons about faith. All it is, is I am agreeing with God. May everything you say is going to happen to me, happen to me. Um, my daughter, Emma, my youngest, she loves to bake, okay? This would probably be cute if we did it together. The problem is it usually happens about 6 a.m. when I'm still sleeping, 
she decides I'm going to get some bowls. I'm going to make sometimes the brownies or something that is kind of simple. And she usually does okay with it. But one, <clears throat> one morning she woke up and I have this famous chocolate chip cookie recipe. If you guys knew me and my husband used to have a coffee shop years and years ago before we were pastors. And we always made this particular chocolate chip cookies that had like a secret ingredient. So she found the recipe and she decides I'm going to make these before mom gets up. She's going to be so happy, right? <laughs> Yeah, so happy because, first of all, the kitchen is always destroyed, and she doesn't quite know what she's doing. She's nine, soon to be ten, but she doesn't kind of get all the ingredients. She doesn't understand the difference between a tablespoon and a teaspoon, all the things. So I come in, and she's pretty much already started to mix it. And she's like, I already did it, Mom. I'm good. I just have to put it in the oven. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to help you put it in the oven. So I help her. We put the cookies in. I help her put them on the baking sheet. Well, they cook for ten minutes. We take them out, and they're all, like, super flat. And she's like, I don't know. What's wrong? They're burning. What's wrong with them? And I kept asking her, did you put baking soda in it? She's like looking at me like she doesn't know what it is. And I'm like, you know, baking soda, it's white. It's like a powder. And she goes, oh, I didn't know what that was. So I put a tablespoon of flour in. I'm like, you already had like five cups of flour. But she added a tablespoon more for the baking soda, you know. And I was just like, it doesn't work that way, honey. You can't substitute flour for baking soda. So I'm trying to explain to her, baking soda is what causes the cookies to rise. And if you don't have it, then they'll be gross and flat and whatever. And so, you know, it was a lesson learned, but we had to throw them all away. I mean, she, she wanted to keep them and ate them every day and pretended they were good because she felt better about herself. But they really weren't good. But we can do the same thing in our life. We substitute good works for faith. We do the same thing. You might think, that's so dumb. Add another tablespoon of flour, that's going to do nothing. But we appease our conscience and we do some good stuff instead of agreeing with God. Instead of having faith, right? And I've talked about before, it's impossible to please God without faith. So we're trying to please him by adding some extra flour. <laughs> and you're like, that's not going to work, right? And our lives will fall flat in the eyes of God if we just keep adding the extra flour because he's looking for the faith element. He's looking for the baking soda. He's looking for the part that is going to cause us to grow spiritually. The only way you grow spiritually is when you put your trust in God. And the only way you can really put your trust in God is when you walk out on a limb and do something thinking, if God doesn't show up, I'm screwed. <laughs> I'm in big trouble. That is how your trust grows. That is how you grow spiritually. Um, that is how we make room for Jesus. So I've got three ways that we can make room in our lives for Jesus. The first one, if you look at your notes, is, is there room in your schedule? Is there room in your schedule? Okay. So I think a lot of times... When we think about making room for God, we think about, well, I, I try to go to church on Sunday. That's great. That's amazing. We should do that. We all know. We've heard messages about coming together, how important it is. But it's so much more than that. If we just think about a Sunday, we're missing it again. Right? Because the Pharisees went to church multiple times. They fasted. I can't remember. It was like every Tuesday, every Thursday from sunup to sundown. The Pharisees did all of those things. So if we think, again, that just good works equates to making room for Jesus, we're deceiving ourselves. Right? So is there room in your schedule? One of the biggest things I can't encourage you enough to do, and trust me, as a mom of five, it's super hard to find the time, but is to make quiet time with Jesus. What do I mean by that? Because some people are like, oh, I don't know what that, I don't understand what that means. All that means is I set aside time where I'm not doing anything else. 
I might read the Bible. I might not. It's okay. I might just pray and talk to God and turn on my Alexa and walk around the room and sing. And, and that's okay too. I might journal and just kind of write to God. And, but the other part of it is not only just worshiping or reading your Bible or praying, but it's listening. Because here's the thing. You can't know what God wants you to do if you never listen to him. And I think what we like to do is we want someone else to tell us what God wants us to do. Right? So the Momentum students just had um, a teacher here this week. His name is Gary Hayes. Some of you guys know him. He's spoken here before. He's done a lot of prophetic things. He travels all over the world. He teaches people how to hear God's voice. And people have him come in. He goes to all these places in Asia, and he um, prophesies over people, and he speaks God's words over them, and everybody's crying, and the Holy Spirit moves in. It's amazing. But I think sometimes we just want that. We want somebody else to come in and tell us what God wants from us. And there's nothing wrong with that, but every time we do that, it's like secondhand knowledge. It's like knowing a person through another person instead of just knowing the person directly. Like, you know, oh, he's a friend of a friend. Well, that's nice. Why don't you be his friend? Right? And it's the same thing with Jesus. So one of the things that just making that time is just making a quiet time. Now, see, I stink at doing things in the morning. Some people in here are amazing. You get up before work and you have you read your Bible and you do all the things. And I used to feel so guilty that I couldn't do that. Because you know what happens when I set my alarm an hour earlier? Snooze. Snooze, snooze until the hour has passed. Yeah, just being honest here. And I, I just, if you're that person, that's okay. I don't want to beat you up because the truth is I'm just not a good morning person. So most of the time, you know, when I do my quiet time, at night, when all my kids are in bed and my husband's watching Netflix. And I, don't, I hate Netflix or whatever he's watching. So I spend my time with Jesus then. Like it doesn't have to look a certain way, but we have to make room in our schedules for him to speak to us, Right. Um, I'm going to read a verse real quick. Hebrews 13, 2. Don't forget that sometimes when you entertain strangers, this for some have unknowingly entertained angels. And the reason why I'm talking about this is because I was telling our momentum students when we went to NISOM, we, we, you know, fed a lot of people Thanksgiving dinners that didn't have money and that were on the streets. We did homeless ministry three nights in a row. And I was telling them when we did all this, I'm like, you know, guys, some of these people might not be real people. And they're like, what? Are they aliens? I'm like, no. <laughs> Some of them thought they were aliens. <laughs> they said they were aliens. That's a different story. But, um, but I said, some of these people might actually not be real people. They might be angels. And they thought, that's crazy. And so we looked at this verse at some point, you know, I think after we got back from Nysum or whatever. But there's a truth to this, that literally there's people that God will put in our busy schedule. Whether you're at the store, you're at Walmart. How many people, when you're at Walmart, you're like, mm, just got to get my things. Oh, no, there's Sally. Oh, gosh. And you're running away from the people because you don't want to. You're just so busy. But Jesus is trying to make room, you know, in our lives for people. And sometimes those very people aren't people, but they could actually be God testing us and being an angel. So just a crazy thought, but make room in your schedule. Remember, it's not a time problem. It's a heart problem, okay? Number two, is there room in your home? So I'm going to read a verse. First uh, Peter 4, 7 through 10. says, open your homes to each other without complaining. This one's hard. There's another version of, of this verse that says, be lovers of strangers. 
how many guys think this one's hard? Anybody going to be honest? Okay. I mean, growing up, my parents modeled this so well. So we had, we had a decent-sized house. There was five siblings, you know, including me. And uh, we had this basement. <clears throat> and it wasn't anything amazing, but it was a finished basement. It had a bathroom down there. It had a shower. And I can't tell you, all through my teenage years, somebody else lived with us. At one point, you know, it was a young mom from the church here who didn't really have the money to get her own place. At another point, it was my brother's friend who had gotten saved and off of drugs, and he lived with us. At another point, it was um, my brother ended up getting a girl pregnant, and she lived with us for years, and my mom helped her raise the kids, and my brother wasn't in the picture for a while because he still really wasn't following God. I can't remember a time that there wasn't somebody living in my basement. <laughs> and you might think, oh, that's sad. Like, maybe you just had like a, that was just meant hard for you because they're always like helping these people. And, and poor you, did you feel neglected? And no, it changed me. It changed who I am. It's part of what makes me who I am today. I have a compassion that I wouldn't have before. Sometimes we think we're so worried about our kids, and I don't want to take attention from my kids, and I, don't, I just want to make sure they're safe, and all of these things. And we're actually robbing our kids. We think we're protecting our kids. We're robbing our kids what God wants to do in their hearts. We're teaching them the world revolves around them instead of teaching them the world we live for the world. We're teaching them the opposite. We don't mean to. We love our kids. We love Jesus, but we do it because we're afraid. I spent my whole life, there was someone always living in my basement. And so when I ended up being, you know, an adult and having a very, very tiny house <laughs> for a while, we lived in a very, very small apartment. And then we were able to, like, live in, like, a different part of the, it was a duplex. And anyway, long story, a young man came into our life. The story basically was, our church here used to have, how many guys know the ministry teen challenge? Anybody heard of it before? Okay. If you haven't, it's amazing. Look it up. There are centers all over the U.S. They help people with addiction, break, you know, break the power of addiction over their life. It's like a discipleship program. So teen challenge used to come here from Vermont and a group of guys, they would a lot of times come, they'd share their testimonies on a Sunday morning here at a service, but we'd let them stay in the building and during, like, Saturday and Fridays, they would go to Stewart's, they'd go to Walmart, and they'd raise money and awareness. Hand out brochures, you know, people would give donations, all the things. So one of the times one of those groups were here, we get a call. My husband gets a call, because we were youth pastors at the time, that someone from the Teen Challenge group had stolen money from our church. Oh, gosh, okay. And they didn't know where he was. He had run away. And he, well, no, they had found him at that point. And he was trying to get on a bus. So he had run all the way to the Econo Lodge. And he was trying to get a bus ticket. And he was trying to, like, you know, leave town or whatever with all of this money. So the police catch him. They're trying to figure out, you know, we're going to press charges or you're not going to press charges. And my husband, you know, I call my husband, kind of letting him know what's happening. And my husband says, I want to meet him. So my husband goes down to the police office, police station. He meets this kid and he immediately, like, his heart melts. He doesn't even care about the money when he starts just, just like, just, just looking at this kid. He's like, this is a kid. is just a kid. He's probably 19, 20 years old at the time. He had been in jail before that, and he was trying to get his life right, and he just made a stupid mistake. So I get a phone call from my husband, and he says, ah, I'm not going to be home for a while. And I said, is everything okay? You know, what's going on? Are we pressing charges? And he goes, I'm going to take him out to eat. And I'm like, who? 
He's like, well, the kid that robbed us. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right, be safe. <laughs> you know, and so he's gone for like two hours, you know, and I'm like thinking, Pizza Hut's closed by now. Like, when is he coming home? So he finally comes home. And as he walks in the door, I'm like, hey, what happened? And he just kind of shakes his head and doesn't say anything. And I'm like, what's going on? And then I look, and there, his name is Adam. Adam is standing at our door, this, this guy, the kid that robbed from the church. And uh, I was like, oh, hi. And he was like, this is Adam. And immediately he goes, I'm so sorry. So sorry that I took the money. And I was like, it's, it's okay. It's okay, buddy. Like, you know, I don't know who he is. So I'm just like, he ends up sitting until 2 a.m., at our table, in our kitchen, flipping through, showing us all his sketchbook. But what he really is doing is, like, he shows us a picture, and then he starts crying. He starts telling us about how much his dad beat him his whole life and how he used to tie him to a chair and how all of these just, like, and how he he never really had a family and, like, all of these, like, the most horrible stories, some that I can't even repeat. And then he'd be like, oh, and then look at I drew this. He was a great artist, so he would kind of, like, try to distract attention when he got too emotional. And I sat there and I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, Jessica, you need to ask him to live with you. And I thought, oh my gosh, I can't do that. I had a two and a three-year-old at the time. So I don't say anything to Greg at the time. I don't say anything to him at the time. We end up telling him he could stay the night. We'll figure out what's happening tomorrow. And then we go to bed. It's like 2.30 in the morning and we lay down and Greg says to me, Jess, I feel like God wants us to ask him to live with us. And, I, and he was probably expecting me to be like, What? And I go, I know, I was afraid you were going to say that. And he lived with us for a year. He got saved. He started going to celebrate recovery, which is like a Christian addiction program. He helped out with the youth. He started working at our coffee shop. He, God did an awesome work in his life. There were still struggles. Honestly, he left about a year in, and it was bad. Like, he left because he was running from the police, and something had happened, and, and things went really downhill, and we didn't talk to him for, like, a year and a half. But I just found out last year that he died of an overdose. And Jeremiah and Greg went to his funeral in Boston. And I'll tell you what, as sad as it was, guess what? I had peace knowing he's going to be waiting for us one day in heaven. And it wasn't a waste because sometimes you do this stuff and you feel like it's a waste to make room, to open up your home, to open up your schedule. It's not a waste. People aren't a waste. It's not a waste. It's worth even the risk. I had a two and a three-year-old. doesn't make any sense, but I would do it again because I don't want to follow Jesus when it's easy. I want to do what he tells me to do every day. Are we going to do that or not? I don't, I can't even put into words what he's done in my heart because this is the thing where like, I don't want to go that far because it might cost something, but I'm telling you, it's robbing you. It's robbing you. You're afraid because it might cost, but you're being robbed by the enemy. That's the way it works. He makes something look good that's bad and something that's bad look good. The very life-giving things God wants to call you to do in your life, you're not doing because you're afraid or it will cost too much. And it's the very things that are robbing you of life. You wonder why you don't feel like you have purposes because the enemy is robbing you. I'm telling you, I don't know how to put it into words. So I have one last thing. I'm going way too long. Is, is there room in your bank account? No one likes to talk about money. It's hard, right? Especially around Christmas, because Christmas is so expensive. 
Do you know the average person spends $1,000 on Christmas? Just the one person on gifts and decorations and things every year. Some people might spend a lot more than that. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying don't buy your kids presents. Buy your kids presents. Um, But man, the reason why money is so hard to talk about is because it is intertwined with our heart. Right? The Bible says, Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? So if, if, if I tell you the bank tellers know more about you than anybody else, except Jesus. You want to know where your treasure is? Look at your bank statement. I really like Tim Hortons. <laughs> but it's not a joke. What do you spend your money on? What matters to you matters to God. Because if it isn't also like you're not paying the cost of sacrifice for his kingdom, then it doesn't matter to you. Don't convince yourself it does if you're not willing to pay a cost, right? It's that whole, your heart's deceitful. Who can know it? And it's not about the amount, right? It's really about your heart posture, right? There's a story in the Bible that widow, the widow comes, there's a big offering jar and people would dump in all of this money. It'd be like, clang, 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 clang. And then everybody'd be like, wow, that guy gave a lot. And then this widow comes and she just drops in two mites, which are like worth a half a penny. Like, ding. Everybody else is like, lame. God sees that and he says, stops everything. So she gave everything. Everybody look at her because this is the model of giving. She gave everything. She didn't hold anything back. So it's not about the amount. It's about, are you giving everything or are you giving the $2? And I'm not just talking in the offering. I'm talking in your life. Are you giving everything? Are you making room for Jesus or are you giving him the token gifts? right? Because that's what he wants for us. You guys can stand. We're going to get ready to um, do communion together. I just want to make you guys aware. um, We're not going to come up. If the people that want to help with the communion can come up to the tables. Just want to let you know if you have a gluten allergy, um, we do this far, far table to the left of me that's kind of by itself. That is all gluten-free. We just keep it separate from everything else. So if that is you, we do want to accommodate for that. It's just going to be to the far left of me. Um, So I'm going to pray, um, and then you guys can come and get the elements, but just hold them with you at your seat, and then Justin is going to continue um, with communion. God, we just come before you right now, and we just thank you, Jesus, for coming to this earth. We thank you that when you sat down with the disciples, you're, you said, this is my body and this is my blood, God, that you show, showed us, you modeled for us what it meant to give it all. That we want to make room for you, Jesus, in our lives, in our schedules, in our bank accounts, in our, you know, busyness, in our life, in our home, God. God, we just pray, God, Father, that you would just teach us how to hear your voice and to obey. So you can come up and grab the elements. Where I lay it down, every burden, every ground. This is my surrender. This is my surrender. Here is where I lay it down, every lie and every doubt. This is my surrender. And I will make room. 
the service and, and felt like God had given her a, a message to say to us today. And I think it really goes with, with the theme right now. So, but, you know, we really, we've, we've talked about it a number of different ways. You know, Nancy had a, had an impression that somebody might need healing in their foot. And we have messages that we prepare. And, and we also believe that God speaks to us in different ways. And so we want to make room for that. So, so Barb has something for us. blessed this week to receive a prophetic word from Gary Hayes. And 
while the word was to me, it was for you. And so I woke up this morning and I felt like God was saying, this is a now word. This is a now word. I want you to release the word now. And so I felt like what he said to me was, I am the God of callbacks. I am the God of callbacks. And Gary's word to me was, Barb, I see you blowing the trumpet and sounding the alarm in Zion. And what that really meant, that's in the book of Joel, Joel chapter 2. And I would really encourage you to read that chapter because it's really about um, the day of the Lord. It's about the day of the Lord, which really signified some significant day in history where God intervened and did something. And so I think today what God wants to say to you is he's calling you back. He's the God of callback. He's calling you back to prayer. Prayer was the big part of the word, was calling you back to prayer, back to intercession, back to battle, back to battle for the things that um, maybe have been stolen from you in your life or have been taken from you. Call it a call back to restore and redeem and give back all of the things that the enemy comes after us for. I felt like there's just this place where um, our society and our world today, the enemy is trying to steal our children's identity, trying to steal our purpose. And there's a place where God is calling us back into a deeper place of battle and warfare where we pick up the weapons that we have in our arsenal and we fight against the enemy's plans to destroy the next generation, even our own generation. And so, God, today I just want to um, call back. I want to challenge people to call them, that you are the God of callbacks. I'm, God says, I'm calling back. I'm calling back my people to prayer. I'm calling them back to battle, calling them back to worship. I'm calling back things that have been stolen. Call back. I'm calling back the prodigals. I'm calling back the prodigals to come back to the house. I'm calling back things into this region where there's an expansion of the kingdom of God that's happening here. I feel like God is calling us to step up the plate in our faith and to really trust him and to make room, like Jess's message, make room in your heart, make room in your heart, home, make room in, in your finances, make room for whatever it is that God is wanting to give back to you. He's the God of callbacks and he's calling us back to things calling us back to claim our children back, to call back our children into the house, call them out of addiction or out of pornography or out of whatever it is that they're involved in. And so I know I'm forgetting a lot of stuff that he said, but I just really feel like the message is I am the God of callbacks and I am calling people back into a place of deeper intercession and deeper prayer and battle for the things that God has for us and to restore and redeem the things that have been stolen and taken. And one thing that I know is that, you know, when we speak, when we sing, when a message is shared, I believe that God is doing something individually in each of our hearts. And I may say something, but you hear it one way. And, and as, as Barb said that, as, as, as Jessica spoke, I think God is speaking to you something specific that he wants to call you back to. He wants to call you to open up your life in some specific way, but it's unique to you. And give yourself permission, give your, give your mind or your, your mind the ability to just say, okay, I'm gonna listen. 
gonna I'm gonna hear and I and trust that you have the ability to hear what God is saying to you today. And we have we have the elements that we came and we do this the first of every month, remembering what Jesus did for us, how he made room for us through his body, through his time, through his everything that he's he laid everything aside for us. And I say this so often when we read these passages that, that God says, do in remembrance, do like I did. I think we need to make room like Jesus did. So these passages in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes that I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself, that on the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and you can, you can hold the bread. Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and said, This, the bread, is my body which is given for you. Do this remembrance of me. That Jesus said that just like the bread was broken and it was given to us, Jesus was going to allow his body to be broken for us. Jesus, we thank you that you gave everything for us, that you made room for us in the greatest of ways. So God, as we remember that today, as we celebrate that, as we as we commit to doing like you did, we receive all that you have for us. Why don't we take the bread? Paul continues in verse 25. He says, in the same way, Jesus took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, an agreement between God and people, an agreement confirmed with his blood that was shed on the cross. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. We are announcing his death, his burial, his resurrection, his life that he wants to pour out on all of us. Jesus, we thank you again say it again that you made room for us help us to make room for whatever you put in front of us we thank you that you that your blood was poured out that you sacrificed yourself so that you could make a way for us to experience forgiveness and righteousness through you not through what we do but through you so we receive this cup today go ahead and drink it good to remember it's good to receive that call back I, I really believe that you each have something that God is calling you to trust your ability to hear God and, and ask him for ways that you can make room in your life to do all that he is asking you to do God we thank you for this day we thank you for this reminder God we thank you for this season God, we can celebrate you and all that you've, you've come and, and, and lived among us and died among us and, and sacrificed so that we could know you more and that we can, we can grow, God, in our love for you and others. So, God, we give you this day, we give you this week, we give you this month. In Jesus' name, amen. Greet one another, encourage one another. Have a great week, guys. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.